This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, March 5th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. The recent raids on massage parlors in Florida looked like a sex crime story that had it all. Poor, foreign, exploited women forcibly trafficked under the guise of massage. The owner of a Super Bowl champion NFL team soliciting sex from these abused women. And, of course, sexual acts exchanged for money. The only problem is that much of that narrative has yet to be borne out in evidence gathered by police. Elizabeth Nolan Brown is an associate editor at Reason Magazine. We spoke last week. Yeah, so I think that the reason this became a big national story, obviously, is that Robert Kraft, owner of the Patriots, was involved. And the police immediately sold it to the media as a case of an international sex ring, sex slavery ring that they had busted up and that Robert Kraft was just somehow a part of this. And, you know, maybe and so there were also hundreds of other men and 10 massage parlors and all of that. And that was the story that we first got. Um, It, you know, turns out that the 10 massage parlors are, you know, mostly separate. They're talking about different operations spanning several counties. The majority of the arrests were just misdemeanor prostitution arrests for men who went to these massage parlors and um, they they did give legitimate massages. Everybody there was actually licensed and had had a um, a massage therapy license. But then also there was some extra sexual activity at the end of some massages and police arrested hundreds of men for misdemeanor prostitution in that. And then they also arrested nine women on felony charges related to prostitution who had worked at or managed these parlors. And that's sort of it in a nutshell, just to kind of lay the basics out there. All right. So uh, how quickly did that general narrative fall apart? Well, you know, it's still it's still going wild the in in most of the media um, because you know the there's there you know there's several counties that are involved in the, the county sheriff for one the Martin County Sheriff he's been doing a lot of press going on CNN and uh, the Palm Beach County District Attorney has been doing a lot of press and, and these you know big conferences and they both have been sort of very skillfully talking about the specifics of their case and then jumping to things like you know we know that in cases like this the women can be blah 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 they can be you know afraid to do this they can be held in this they can they can just sort of speculating and then but then sort of then going back and so people have really gotten the idea that all of these things that they're speculating have happened in this case or at least that there's some evidence that they have happened in this case but when you actually look at the police reports that have been filed the arrest warrants i mean this has been going on for several weeks now actually so there's enough court documentation to get a a pretty solid picture of what police have um on on these businesses and on these women and you know none of that pans out it's all just pretty much you know, regular massage business with some adult sex workers and, you know, consenting prostitution going on is all that they have found evidence of in their months long stings. That's not to say that maybe, you know, that something eventually won't come out, but they've had no evidence of that before they went on this like weeks long national media offensive. And one of the things that you note is that uh, some of the women who worked at these particular facilities uh, would run errands and go on bank runs with the owners. And this indicated to police uh, somehow that these women were not to be allowed to uh, run around on their own. That is that that is that is to the extent to to the extent that the story is these 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 women who work here are victims. 
that they are being coerced in some way. Yeah. So, you know, originally, too, the police said they weren't allowed to leave. They were locked in. They slept there. They ate there, whatever. Um, by a few days later, you actually had them on TV being like, OK, well, they, they were allowed to leave, but they didn't. They were trying to understand why maybe there was some coercion, which is a, a very different story than, you know, people being literally physically confined. Um, and then in the police reports, you know, they the, the sort of evidence that they used to suggest that maybe there was something untoward going on is that, yeah, one of the things they say is, well, some of these women only left in the company of the manager or the owner of the spa or only with ride services. But then they also note that some of these women had come in from out of town and were just there for a temporary stay and did not have cars. So it's like, how how else? This is Florida. I, you can't. I've been to Florida. It's very hard to walk around there. So, I mean, it, it, maybe they were just... That was how they had to get around while they were in town. Um, yeah, they followed them around on errands. They followed them to go to banks with stuff. And the other weird thing is that they kind of use that to suggest that maybe because, yeah, these women were leaving in the company of the owners of the spa that they had to be kept an eye on. But then they also have charged them with felony, um, with racketeering and with other charges related to like running a prostitution business because they were participating in these bank errands and these shopping errands. So it's like you're use, they're using it essentially as, as evidence that both they were somehow victims and that they were the traffickers. Um, so pretty much all the, all the women have sort of been involved, have been charged, not with trafficking because there's no actual trafficking charges, but, you know, they've all been sort of charged with permitting the prostitution of each other, which is a felony. And, and this really, this is the core of the thing as far as I, I'm concerned, to the extent that these kinds of busts of massage parlors go on and there was... Uh, you know, police surveillance of, of some of these facilities for uh, a long time. If these women are victims and there is evidence that they are victims, why are they being charged with felonies? Exactly. And they've said, you know, the police have said, well, they won't cooperate and we're trying to get them to cooperate, but we have to charge them to get them to, you know, stay, which is which is its own, you know, weird logic. And then also they say some of the women that, that said they weren't victims, they're like, well, if they say they weren't victims, we let them go. But it's just, I don't know, nothing about the way that they've that they've handled it makes sense, including the fact that, again, if these women were victims, you have police and um, Homeland Security was involved. Homeland Security investigations, undercover agents actually went into the massage parlors, got massages from these women. They say nothing more. They say they stopped after they were offered um, other things. But so you have Homeland Security and Florida cops following them around for six, eight, ten months in some cases, visiting these places and surveying them. And they say that these were sex slaves that were held in terrible conditions, but they didn't rescue them. And in fact, just kept going so that they could build misdemeanor prostitution cases against like 100 men is, you know, it, so it's like if there really was the horrible human trafficking going on here, then cops have a lot more to answer for actually in the way that they've handled it. I'm constantly trying to find uh, areas where I'm my uh, blinders are on. But for the life of me, I can't uh, understand how the definition of uh, human trafficking has been seem seemingly willfully expanded to include so much more than someone being coerced out of wherever they live and into some other uh, place where they are forced to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Right. I mean, under under the law, human tra or you know, human trafficking can involve both forced labor and forced sex, um, commercial sex. And so, you know, sex trafficking is defined as prostitution or paid sex acts that have, you know, force or fraud or threats involved, or if someone is underage, even if there's none of that happening, they're just legally defined as a, as a sex trafficking victim, which which makes some sense, you know. Um, 
And so, I mean, obviously, we want it to be illegal to to sleep with underage um, people and, and that sort of thing. So that's what under the law sex trafficking is. But yes, when you hear it talked about by the media and by cops um, all the time, they just use it to pretty much just mean prostitution interchangeably without any absence of force or fraud or coercion. Um, in this case, you know, all of the women involved were in their late 30s to late 50s. Originally, I saw police and local Florida media calling them girls in the press. And it's like, these are these are 55-year-old women and you're calling them girls. But um, but yeah, what you said, you know, it, it, it is routinely conflated and a lot of that is very willful. And that's why I think it's important sometimes too to look. I mean, it's always important to look beyond what cops say when they're when they're in making big, you know, high profile stings, because a lot of times, you know, they're trying to make their case in public. But when you actually look at what they they feel comfortable putting down in official documents and, you know, when they know that they have to be accountable for it, that's a different story. And that's why I think it's always good to those and see the story they're telling there versus the story they're telling on CNN. So, you know, over and above what you've already said, there is this substantial disconnect between their official filings and the way that they're describing these cases in public. And that in, even in this case is still going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, just just even like little details. But for some reason, the, the again, the Martin County Sheriff just keeps again and again saying in the press, you know, that he talked to one woman who had said she had had sex one time with 10 people in a day or something. I don't know. And he's like, and if you extrapolate that by this many days that they worked and this many times a year, they're each, you know, having sex with 1500 men a year or maybe it was five. You know, I forget what the math was exactly. But anyways, when you look at their report again, they they actually, you know, are charged. The women that have been arrested are charged with doing somewhere between three and 16 sexual acts, mostly oral sex and, you know, hand jobs, not um, not actual sex. Three and 16 acts over a course of 40 days. Uh, on average, I looked at it and it's about one per person every three days that was not just a regular massage, but somehow involved a sexual element. So that's, you know, what the police actually have. There is nowhere near this weird, wild, speculative math that they're doing in the press. And it's just, you know, it's just so many elements like that. So what incentives do cops face here? Uh, I mean, the the prurient interest uh, may be compelling. That is, cops go get free. <laughs> free massages in order to conduct some surveillance. But in terms of making arrests like this, is there is there something behind, uh, is there some sort of incentive that they're facing that says, hey, this is the kind of arrest we want to make? Yeah, I think that on the one level, you do have just the sort of, you know, cops, some cops being a bit sleazebags and or just or, you know, the same old, same old sort of vice stuff. It's the kind of thing that, you know, it's attracted to police departments because it's not putting them in a lot of danger. It's not a hard thing to do. And they get to do surveillance, though, and feel like they're, you know, involved in some big thing. And then when they're done, they get a hold of all these press releases and, you know, announce how they've done something very good for the community and everyone celebrates them and they get all this attention. So I think there's definitely some of that happening. But I think the bigger issue you have is is a really concentrated effort coming from the federal at the federal level. Um, you know, we've seen over the past two decades, especially ramping up in the past five or six years, um, this really sort of push to to use um, fighting sex trafficking as as an excuse to do sort of a wide variety of things that federal law enforcement wants to do from um, immigration enforcement to just sort of general surveillance to taking down, you know, changing Internet law so that they have more control and more censorship powers. There's there's a lot of things that they have um, sort of past that are really uh, harmful to everyone's civil liberties and not helping anyone, but they're doing this pretending that it's helping 
human trafficking victims. And so one of the big pushes lately the federal government has done has been that they're obsessed with immigrant Asian-owned massage parlors. Um, they've listed the Polaris Project, which is this nonprofit that gets all this federal money to produce reports saying that, you know, there are this many illicit massage parlors and they're all fronts for trafficking and we need to send more people into them. And so that's, I mean, that's why you see Homeland and Security involved in, in these investigations in Florida. They're, they're frequently involved in these investigations across the United States. And they say, we're doing this because we are going to actually, you know, maybe there's a human trafficking when we're stopping. But all you ever see again and again is human, um, you know, Homeland Security participating in misdemeanor busts for someone getting uh, oral sex or something. You know, it's just it's really it's really a big fraud all around. The fact that uh, there is money being exchanged for sex uh, seems to bring together uh, a lot of people who otherwise are probably ideologically opposed on a, a whole host of things that just the notion that money may be exchanged for sex is a, a, a terrible crime. And that in some cases, people are willing to say, as, as you've noted elsewhere, money trumps consent. Yeah, that was, you know, that, or that's that's the claim. anyway. Yeah, there was just someone on NPR this week who said, you know, and it's just something you hear every time this comes up. But yes, yeah, that's something like, I think when you introduce, you know, an intoxicant as powerful as money into the situation, then it doesn't matter. Consent is irrelevant. And you're just like, it's so weird. People always say that, yeah, when sex is concerned, it doesn't if you apply that logic to any other you know form of, of activity, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we're hearing a lot of right now. It does bring out together this sort of um, coalition of yeah odd bedfellows, um, and it's it's very deliberate. There's like a bunch of really interesting. There's some interesting papers from you know the turn of this past century talking about how in the you know 80s and 90s the people were kind of aware of this the the Christian conservative and radical feminist uh, co alliance that was sort of went after porn and was very you know the Catherine McKinnons and stuff along with the, the moral majority and the um, Andrew Dworkins and Jerry Falwell co alliance and uh, they when they got done sort of passing these these laws having to do with porn in the 90s and that wore off they were like what is our next big thing going to be and they decided very deliberately they decided that they were going to go after prostitution and reframe it as sex trafficking so that's been sort of something that they you know started working on almost 20 years ago now and I think you'll see that it's pretty pretty well completed and they've accomplished that goal unfortunately. So where does this case go? It seems like the the cops get their headlines uh to the extent that they're interested in getting uh free massages and doing surveillance on uh these women they've accomplished that but you know the day 20 story where uh, all of these all these men are just being charged with misdemeanors, and and some of these women, as you note, are still being held in jail on these very high bonds. Yes. Where, where does it go from here? Yeah, I mean, so far the women have pled not guilty. They're all being held in jail on bonds. Um, hopefully that they'll be able to. You know, will be. I, I'm trying to reach out to people. I don't have a lot of luck of getting anyone there to talk to me. But um, but I'm you know hopefully local reporters. It's. I hope people stay on the story and follow what actually happens to them. Um, I'm not very optimistic about that being the case. But it has been good this time to see, you know, I covered one of these cases that was got similar national attention in Seattle a couple years ago. And there was no skepticism on it, like, 
ever. And already this week, I mean, there's been a lot of people like within the first week, I I said, you know, I said earlier that a lot of the media has still been spreading these crazy narratives, but you have seen, I mean, even on, I've done a lot of radio hits. So just random sports talk radio, random radio across the country, Um, ESPN and Sports Illustrated have questioned it. I've seen various columnists at different places questioning it. So I have seen a lot more people in media sort of picking up on it this time. So there's there's a small chance that, you know, with that there will be sort of actually more people holding the cops to the fire this time and not just letting them sort of quietly get away with this because that was what happened in the in the 2016 case there was all this attention and then a few months later the police just sort of quietly let everyone off on these like really low charges after being like human trafficking and, and then you know so yeah <laughs> I was like, I don't really know where I'm going with that. I'm not optimistic, okay. but uh, but let's hope. I'm, I plan to keep, you know, following the story and following what's happened to the women that were arrested down there. Elizabeth Nolan Brown is an associate editor at Reason Magazine. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>